Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. I think it's very appropriate to have the 200th episode of the Practice Podcast couched in the framework of social inaction to be with my son, Dave, who is the thinker about social inaction and all matters thereto pertaining, as I am thinking about practice and all matters thereto pertaining. And the two of us together have recorded quite a few of the episodes expanding and deepening our thinking of the connection between social inaction and practice. In fact, I think practice is socially enacted and Dave would think that in order to be a practitioner, one has to be very good at the practice of conversation. Excellent, actually, at the practice of conversation. So this is another dimension of Dave's discovery of ways that our brains factor in to our social activity and our personal choices. Dave and Dad. Well, folks, we're back uh, together, father and son, for episode 200 of the Practice with a Question Mark podcast. And the question mark has both practice and social inaction connected to it. I've always been curious about what Dave's been learning for many years now as he tunes his attention into social inaction. And I think he notices that I'm quite interested in practice, particularly since I took the baton from Peter Vail. But we have discovered in the various times that we've had episodes together that there is a connection between how he's looked at the social aspects of human behavior as people relate in conversation and how else could one be in any sort of practice if they weren't engaged with other people in conversation. So maybe that's where we found some uh, horizontal connection. Do you think? Yeah, I I think so. I think, I think there was, a podcast called practice question mark always made me think well what is it really and i'm and i'm going to answer it okay <laughs> and, but it, but it's also finally <laughs> uh, but reflecting on your 200th episode congratulations for that um it, it it is something that i think for both of us for you it's been a way to extend find something that you loved about your teaching uh, now that you're retired, I remember attending some of your classes back back in the 90s and, and seeing how um, you would always bring in people from the, the community or contacts, people who in, in various aspects of, of management uh, and leadership at the different, a lot of the different organizations and industries around Central Connecticut and in interview them in the kind of the way that you're doing on your podcast. And it was great learning experience for the students. They all loved it. And um, I think you loved it too. So finding a way to keep that going has been, been really um, 
terrific. It's something to keep your mind going. <laughs> and, and that too. And, and the things <laughs> that you loved uh, as your practice, one of your your essential practices, which made you a great teacher. Um, and you. and for me, these these conversations that I've had have been something that I had to um, sort of give up and really hadn't been thinking about much since since finishing my dissertation around 2005 and then going into a whole different career in data librarianship um mm -hmm. but but now being able to think about them again and talk and bring bring in all the new um research and tie tie together the loose threads into our discussions and focusing around what is practice I, that's been a lot of fun for me and really got me much more interested um, and uh, gave my my brain an out an outlet from a line of work that isn't really all that much much like it uh, that, that's true and thank goodness uh, that because you your um, your curiosities have never abated really about the nature particularly of the internal aspects of communication conversation very close in analysis of people taking turns of talk but you want you went deeper and, and more recently in some of our podcasts and you've been tapping into your interest in neuroscience and mm -hmm. looking and finding some of the historical thought leaders in uh, brain brain development consciousness all of those things and uh i think that that's added something about the question of practice that no one else in the world has ever thought to do so we may be breaking very good new ground so what 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 are some of the topics that are peaking you right now well i've been trying like trying to go we, we did some deep dives into the brain and system science and mm -hmm. I, i've been trying to bring it back into um where we started talking about how language works and also how social relationships matter for for language and, and interaction um but then i keep finding someone else in another area of the brain that that's that needs that i need to dig into some more too it turns out the brain's kind of complex and there's lots of aspects of it and and uh so i found an, an another writer uh neuroscience neuroscientist and and um with also a psych a psychiatry background who I'll, I'll i'll talk about who's who's a major figure in the topics of the brain's hemispheres left oh, and right yeah. hemispheres and his name is um uh ian mcgillchrist huh. um um I, I um his name spelled i a i n m c g i l c h i r s t so um and he's had a, a couple of big books one of his more popular ones which he took about 10 years to write is called the master and his emiss and his emissary which is um all the research from about 20 years to get to to um, where he was in 2009, uh, talking kind of a definitive collection on on research on the brain hemispheres, and then more recently, I've been looking at his book. That was about a 900 page book or something, and now I've yeah. got a 1500 page book. He, oh my he did lord! After another 10 years, called called the the matter with things. Um, oh my lord! And, 
and uh but luckily he's he's pretty prolific on youtube so i've been <laughs> binging yes. lots, and lots of his talks on on youtube and he's a yes. wonder, wonderful speaker he has a uh, background in uh um english and philosophy and from from childhood he just kind of studied in Op oxford's prep schools and became an oxford fellow and then um and then in order to to deal with the philosophy of the mind-body connection he decided to get a medical degree and then became a psychiatrist uh he even uh, did did some of his research at uh, johns hopkins in the 90s no um, kidding but now he's back in 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 uh, the uk um but uh yeah it's well you know real uh encourage anyone to to go and look him up in here just hear him talk he's one of these uh <laughs> the oxford intellectual style uh, um but very um you'll he's uh, he walks the talk as far as as uh what it means to really integrate the the left and the right hemispheres as we'll talk about a, a, a bit um for for what we could fit in but you know there's probably a couple of podcast episodes just to, to tap the surface on on what he might bring into the story so far but i, I wanted to kind of take a crack um at the at tying in some of the aspects we've been talking about with social inaction um as linking from the brain to both language and the social bond social emotions and the social and the nature of social relationships mm -hmm. kind of tying that into what we've been talking about with social inaction once again i either can go as a as a long as a bit of a lecture or um make it more interactive but if you i'll, I'll pause and and if you wanted to say something now's the time <laughs> i get it well i i'd like to hear more but i i want to make sure that we got his name again it's ian gilchrist ian mcgilchrist mc mcgilchrist mcgilchrist okay all right and um, i can say that back when i was teaching uh there was an a bit of buzz about the left brain and right brain and mm -hmm. which are you are you more creative depending on brain uh the, the side of the brain that works most for you some of those things I, and it, it kind of sound a little bit like pop psychology back mm -hmm. then but uh what you've already told me is that this investigator does not think it's just pop psychology and that there's maybe something to it that we can uh link in to our conversation about uh, social inaction and, yeah and practice yeah because that's one of the things he, he says about about the time that the the early research on left and right hemispheres um became just that kind of a pop psychology and 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 um you know by the time he saw Volkswagen doing a car for your left brain he knew that um yeah. things might have gone too far and 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 uh you know the more and more he's been looking at the research over 10 years the the, the not only is this some so many profound things about the the distinctness of the hemispheres of the brain and not just not not just um human brains but almost any any complex organism with a with a with a um a nervous system going all the way back to you know the trilobites in the early 
early earths and uh, uh, or or nematodes or this hemis this this asynchronicity and two sides of of the nervous system are very pronounced and, and apparent and mm. we we could kind of talk about the reasons for that i i um well i'll, I'll just go into that now because why why is why is there a need for um two two halves of, of the brain so you could everyone could kind of picture you know the brain and it looks like a walnut with one half with with a real distinct split between one half and the other mm -hmm. um and it's connected by a thick bundle of fibers called the corpus callosum um which which allows quite a lot of integration between the two halves but really it's not a large percentage um i think i may have this number wrong but i think he said something like five percent is is directly con connected wow so you have so almost two quite independent brains stuck in our heads and <laughs> heads of other animals um and and they and they in fact act quite independently because the where they really started noticing this left brain right brain was when they looked at strokes yeah and then also these these uh op, these cases where uh so as a um uh way to prevent uh chronic epilepsy they would actually cut that corpus callosum so mm -hmm. each half would be divided mm -hmm. and and then they would see how how um literally one half of <laughs> of the body would act one way one half the other way one half would ignore the existence of the other half of of the body and then lots lots of different subtle um uh, differences in in perception of uh you know everything from drawing to how you see things um and and then strokes would be another category where where left hemisphere strokes would have um effects like uh, an inability to to speak and so people focused a lot on that but then they wouldn't but then right hemisphere strokes would have um a range of interesting aspects such as um people would ha have a, less of an ability to, to grasp context and and even sense of reality like people with left hemisphere strokes they would they're right they'd be able to speak but the things they talked about would be um very literal um but but make no sense but then people would also insist that this is reality the kind of things that that they were stringing together um hmm. uh, so so one reason for this dual consciousness that that all animals have is is, is again it's always about what evolved for survival survival um, yeah and so what uh, um early life uh needed to figure out as soon as as there were other living things that could sneak up on you and kill you while you were focused on eating you needed one half of your brain to focus on manipulating the world and doing things that you needed to do like mm -hmm. like uh eating eating and another half to pay attention to the reality of the now that's that's happening and making sure no one's sneaking up on you and being able to run and, and that literally tooks, takes separate parts of the brain because they are fairly distinct types of processes it turns out wow um each of which is is as we've talked about 
for rather self-organizing is self-contained almost like it's it's a it's two types of of organisms in a way rather mm -hmm. than just just aspects of of one organism um and and the ways that they're different can tell us a lot about what we've been talking about practice but also how i've been um talking about social inaction um and also the social bond so we can kind of get into that a bit see how long long we go it might be another two two episode <laughs> talk well, at some i mean <laughs> already you've got me uh intrigued uh that it's it's always seems to me miraculous how nature has worked out these adjustments and accommodations so that a particular species can survive and and maybe even thrive and now we're talking about humans mm -hmm. but we're we're um we're, we're talking about behavior as practice so uh and behavior as people in conversation so i already can imagine that there's these two hemispheres uh cranking away with uh a similar purpose when we're in behavior we are we are at risk because we're moving into a time that hasn't occurred before so it's uncertain and so there's that whole thing about what well, what maybe there's a wolf behind that tree mm -hmm. on the other hand what we know about practices that in order to accomplish anything you have to be focused you have to be results oriented you have to be uh doing that's the key word mm -hmm. in that in the moment so i'm beginning to get a sense that maybe we're onto something or you're onto something <laughs> yeah yeah and and one of the things that intrigued me about about the topic is i've we we talked in past episodes about how language you know language is you know the process of putting together words and but also um um interacting with others so that there's mutual understanding mm -hmm. it relies on things like like well sometimes it's called a theory of mind but really it's just being able to place yourself in the in the role of the other to understand that they to, to, the the ongoing assumption that they will largely understand the same words that you're using um and and also its context and you know other things that it indexes in order to keep a conversation going and and so we're kind of predicting that 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 that's going to go well and then a lot of times when we're when we're talking in interaction um a lot of it's about dealing with errors and and, and adjustments to to misunderstandings but mm -hmm. one of the things that especially my work with Tom Chef and social bonds and 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 social emotions is that he always said that talk is not just linguistics it's also constant constant management of the social relationship yeah and that there are particular emotions dedicated to this management of the closeness and distance among people mm -hmm. and it probably applies to the same dialogue you'd have within within your own mind when you're just talking to yourself um but but uh, what uh, McGilchrist's research and you know, collection of research is is suggesting is that um, there's really hemispheres of the brain <laughs> maybe that missing link is it's it's almost a social bond between each, both halves of your brain that that is really that missing part that I I was trying to figure figure yeah. out um, yeah it's because the 
some of the emotions in the brain in the brain are highly, highly lateralized, which means um, they, you know, the old notion was like the the left brain was where all the emotions are, and the right brain is logical. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's actually the reverse of that. Actually, I might have mixed up myself, but <laughs> I can it, never get it straight. What it is is that the 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 uh, the left brain is actually very literal, um, deals with logic, um, mm -hmm. um, and, and seems to be especially for for the problem of making speech work it's enormously complex so complex that a whole half of the brain is 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 highly dedicated to putting words together and grammar and and um and also um linking them to sequences of, of action mm. because the, the right brain is all about manipulation manipulation of the world categories categorizing the world um grasping and apprehension uh, of of the world and so it's it's the it's that focused attention on what's being done at the moment mm -hmm. but the right hemisphere did i say did i say that was the left hemisphere i hope so the right hemisphere is what's kind of paying attention to really the the now and the reality and the context um and the you know the the un, the unknown um and mm -hmm. and also looking at the at, at subtleties of of concepts so while the while the left brain categorizes things so this is this thing is either this or that mm -hmm. the right brain is saying well it's could be both that or neither or several other things or let's think about this over there so so there's a lot of um crosstalk yeah. yeah crosstalk and and wandering around and you, and you need both um but then there's also this emotional dimension of it where the the right the left hemisphere which is doing the the, the talk is mostly um not heavily tied to emotions except um frustration and anger are highly yeah. lateralized but the but the right hemisphere has more of the emotions, including some of the ones that we've been talking about in the in the shame family, being mm -hmm. um, guilt, embarrassment, um, uh, as more of the negative emotions, um, fear of separation, like separation anxiety, and then mm -hmm. the ones that might go into the extremes of of despair, which is the loss of the bronze and um, getting into that primitive emotion where you just kind of shut down and wait to die yeah <laughs> you've been separated from the from the herd or from your from your um your, your mother uh um as an animal and that that becomes part of the the kind of an inhibitory moderation over what the right what the left hemisphere is churning along as as it's building courses of action as it's like even constructing ascendance and and assuming the other person is going to understand what you say the other hemisphere is kind of watching and saying those subtleties including paying attention to gestures and facial things and even the color you know blushing of the skin as a gesture that others can can attend to to say okay um this literal meaning i've intended isn't being picked up we need to stop pause adjust um do something about 
about it that's not just about the the words but also the quality of the social relationship at the moment wow wow and it takes that integration of the brain because when you get that damage to to the um, right hemisphere you, you get people who or even suppression or even even things like schizophrenia or or forms of autism mm -hmm. you get that very noticeable loss of that capacity to pay attention to the quality of the bonds and and the and the social emotion cues yeah that we're using um it's very pronounced um yeah I, i've noticed it in my experiences with some people who are in, he heavily into that end of the spectrum where they're brilliant but uh, they don't get it I, whatever it is so that makes more sense to me now yeah um and uh you know Ian McGilchrist he's he has a you know a terrific literary and philosophy background and he he does a great job of kind of um taking that to the next dim dimensions even I think his his latest book is largely around some of the social implications of having a society that is very um left brain oriented very literal very into um uh manipulating the world acquiring the world dividing it up into categories doing things mm -hmm. by procedure um and ignoring the the um the contextual impact of all mm -hmm. of that so so his first big book on the hemispheres he he called he, he titled the master and his emissary um yeah i was wondering about that title yeah and it 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 comes with um it comes from kind of a myth but we can we can kind of translate into um the corporate a, a corporate world notion like like other your 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 other podcast topics often talk about so imagine a, a ceo of a corporation who's actually very wise and very competent um and really could always grasp the big picture of how the organization works what the needs were what all what all um was was uh um needed to make it successful and 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 well integrated with the rest of of um you know the world that that the corporation interacts with but the marketplace yeah yeah but the there's only so much that that CEO can do so they have a a, a vice president as your emissary who's the emissary and and they are and very competent this this guy knows all the procedures he knows how to get things done um uh but he he's so he's so good but he he isn't the people person but he gets things done he knows how to do the finances and he knows how to how to make the machines work but he starts thinking you know i'm better than the ceo my ceo is an idiot <laughs> <laughs> i i'm doing things the right way uh, but but doesn't realize that he's totally disconnected from the reality of the of the corporation so mm -hmm. as long as as they can get along um and and not given too much rope then it's a good a good productive relationship for for the organization but when you have like the the Dilbert situation where yeah. <laughs> Dilbert is a perfect left brain engineering emissary mm -hmm. type 
and mm-hmm. he figures his pointy-haired boss is 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 not the in fact isn't the wise mm-hmm. <laughs> characters in the Dilbert cartoons but but um there, there is a lot more wisdom in in the big picture and and ability to deal with context and and also emotions that that the uh, Dilbert type isn't isn't able to grasp so mm-hmm. um and he uh, you know that he spends thousand pages <laughs> talking about how how um society is really kind of getting much too lopsided especially with technology towards yeah the emissary's world um, yeah and now ai becomes the emissary of the emissary and you know, ai can only deliver what it's basically programmed to do you know yeah. to some extent so it, it's, yeah. it's exaggerating now uh if i were to imagine what goes on inside a program of artificial intelligence i would expect that it would be a lot like the, the way the left brain works it it, mm-hmm. can, it has language and now we got one that can write like it's a, a human writer or, or make pictures but it's it's fascinating and and gil and gil and mcgill mcgill christ christ has picked up on that and written a lot about it mm-hmm. and where after that has he taken us and in in his uh next writings in his next uh youtubes well um i i mean we can go in any direction but i'll, I'll follow the path that i think takes it back to to what how I, i've we've been talking about social inaction because in the in the in in the whole set of of podcasts there's sort of been the sequence going from the notion of self-organization um in systems theory and and into neuronal groups and then i had the the episode on mark solms his Mm -hmm. model of consciousness which really relied on he really focused on how the 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 um brainstem is is a very important focal point of Mm -hmm. this um connection between all the you know the arrow signals that come from both parts of the brain and into these moments that become what I what I call the impulse to yep. for, to go from one act to another and this is back to um uh you know the early 20th century writings of of George pragmatist philosopher George Herbert Mead his theory of the act fit very well with that and again Mead fits in with this as well so so what um the hemisphere studies show is that really this what I what we've been calling the impulse really starts from this left hemisphere Mm. it's starting from this big picture this context um the subtleties and and now awareness of the now and and becoming that moment where the the right brain which is churning around along in some course of action is disrupted kind of that sudden perturbation point or reorganization into a new line line of activity but after the impulse it is kind of up to that left brain to start putting the pieces into some sort of course of action or or a tendency to act which george Mm -hmm. herman need would call would call um meaning Mm -hmm. so to some extent the meaning uh and and also the course of action that would become a, a manipulation um uh is something that the 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 left the left hemisphere is doing a lot of the pragmatic work around Mm -hmm. but still it's now going back 
the act is now going back into that right hemisphere context, um, seeing how the goodness of, of fit to the broader context um, yeah. and, and getting into the more implicit minds, because you can really think of this, the, 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 um, what, what Mark Solms is saying is that with this, when this midbrain impulse happens, it's actual conscious awareness. We're actually aware of it. We feel something and we have this notion of self pop up and become, uh, you know, an awareness of, of an action and what's going on mm. happening. Um, and then proceeding towards, towards some sort of, um, manipulation or adjustment of the world. And then, uh, then a, um, consummation assessment of, of how well things have gone. Um, and, and it might be, um, the occasion for a new impulse for the next course of action to, to kind of, mm -hmm. kind of be triggered from, from the prior one. Mm -hmm. Um, and this works for just, you know, uh, making a sandwich, but also when, during the social interaction it's happening all the time too and probably fast and very complex um but i i would say the same dynamics are going on so there's this interchange of of uh consciousness being being enacted um through you know two or more people engaged in interaction is 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 uh you know this adds a few more pieces to that what, what we've been talking about as social inaction so so we talked before about about inaction having three definitions performance bringing forth the domain in in warranting an action in 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 its context but also in in what participants feel ought to be the case mm -hmm. so so you could kind of think of the performance as being this this um uh, if it was if it was a speech act um the the impulse might come from the left hemisphere but it's the right hemisphere that turns it into something that's visible and observable because it's largely the the um i got that wrong the right hemisphere has the impulse the left hemisphere is one that's actually putting together the words the vocal gestures that become the performance that other people can hear that's right um to others but also to yourself you hear yourself speak and and um, part of the problem of mind is like, okay, there's, there's the mind making the, you know, speaking, but who's, who's the observer? Yeah. Uh, who's the observer of who's, who's experiencing conscious awareness? Well, there's an obvious answer. It's the other half of your brain. <laughs> One side of your brain is speaking. The other half is listening. And and in the self-organization sense, it's literally the observer that treats treats uh, the 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 other act as more of a whole in that in that way. So, um, you know, I, f I find that interesting. We talked in the last episode with Carl Friston about Markov blankets and and the more yeah. complex dynamics of that. And I think I think the same dynamics apply there too. But um, <clears throat> I mean, I think we could actually think of each half of the brain as being the observer of the other um and wow uh, which is kind of gives an interesting very very interesting <laughs> um, uh, uh, way, way of grounding um what been kind of an abstract uh, notion around around self-organization but anyway so we have this this an action being performance um 
that has to be done with words but but meanwhile the other half of your brain is is kind of listening um and both really both halves of the brain then in in this sense are bringing forth this domain of, of relevance mm -hmm. um so what is the topic of conversation and what is its context mm -hmm. you can really now think of part of the brain as paying attention to some very um uh, direct details about the words putting them together um actually the 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 left brain as it puts together words it really only um has a very literal meaning like people with the brain uh, uh brain damage they will they will say um uh if you're saying it's hot this, the room is hot they they will only hear once they categorize it as one way they will only hear it that that one way so they, they, the room is hot well you're only talking about the meteorod meteorological state of the temperature of the room but in a brain that's interacting with both halves you'll the other half is is saying well what's the context oh this person's this person is uncomfortable in the room and is is the implication is the window's closed and they're going to go up and, and open the window there you and, go and uh or it's just a complaint <laughs> yeah about how someone always keeps the the, the heater on too high yeah. um and all this other context and, and even metaphor and all that that's that's the rich world that's on the other part of of the practical problems of putting together words oh my lord <laughs> yeah and 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 it's kind of an inhibitory relationship where one brain is what you know the, the the context is there largely to to keep the 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 direct sequence of actions in 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 check but then on the other hand having a very steady notion of what the, what ought to be done as a set of predictive procedures is what keeps the 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 um, right hemisphere which is tapping into all of your memories and everything else in check and focused on, on yeah. the immediate problems so both come on pull it back in pull exactly it back in. Yeah. exactly now's so, the time to focus where we have a shark and we're in the water <laughs> yeah and you know let's we not think, talk about all the wonderful <laughs> swimming we love to do yeah it's we, a shark <laughs> yeah and if you reflect on how you spend even half an hour trying to work at the computer or something you'll feel yourself oh, yeah. <laughs> you'll feel that going on you know oh you're, yeah you're distracted you're thinking of things that yeah. have nothing to do with what you ought to be doing and yeah um so it's but really, this is all going yeah. on between these within and then slightly between the two hemispheres as you yeah. said he mcgillchrist says it's really about five percent that's evidently uh that, wired if you will yeah my word not his so that there's a a, a certain interaction between yeah. the hemispheres but the rest is situational in, in a way yeah yeah so really asymmetry is more the rule than than than, than symmetry and, and mm -hmm. you know a lot of neuroscience is is kind of focus on just what's the one brain what's the different regions but not really thinking about what one half of the brain has to do with with the other and how different they are so but but from what i'm saying about about uh social inaction and and so self-organizing systems and embodied we really needed that even at the philosophical level yeah to deal with some of the real hard problems of consciousness and and also of 
of the problems of social relationships and why there are social emotions and, and, and mm -hmm. things like that because um you know especially with with uh, social emotions you have that third aspect that third third de definition of an action i've been talking about warranting yeah. warranting what we do in a in a social context so it's really that that um that right brain is going to be paying attention to that social context having some particular emotions that have again that inhibitory um uh signal given to the to the left half of the brain which is busily putting together words and in, in mm -hmm. into sequences um and looking for those errors in mutual understanding um mm -hmm. which can be anything from mix-ups in, in in how people express themselves but even deeper into like social conventions and mm -hmm. and, and things of that sort and and the way to give I, I think broadly the way to give those messages to the other half of your brain is using these shame guilt these signals of a a problem with the social relationship ah, I get it to have so that a, metaphor of close and distance it's sort of shooting shooting out these uh more uh spiky emotions to <laughs> catch the attention of a hemisphere that's just plowing ahead yeah and it has to get down in that brain stem and make that little switch switch yeah. that switch and yeah. um yeah so it's a real there's, there's that's where i'm you know if if someone would fund my retirement i'd, I'd <laughs> that's one of the research topics i would get into is is looking at the details of that social bond dynamic fantastic um, and and now we have a little more in the arsenal for for figuring that out yeah um, i uh, i want to interrupt to uh share a thought that came through um both my hemispheres about this we talk about what's going on within the two hemispheres within one individual and all of the complexities that are mm -hmm. going on but when we enter into a conversation with another mm -hmm. even if it's a very simple transaction mm -hmm. there's four hemispheres four hemispheres at work yeah I like that yeah yeah <laughs> and yeah. it gets to closer to a miracle when you <laughs> add more another couple of hemispheres in that you can find that point of what did you call it uh uh, where you accept each other for the moment and, and not you know yeah break yourself. away the validation of, of the other yeah. that kind of thing and so we could be pretty well balanced going on up here when in our side of the conversation the other person could be distracted or could mm -hmm. I should I could have used a a trigger word mm -hmm. <laughs> in these so in the day of our cultural wars and almost any word could trigger mm -hmm. and not a bond it's right. bonding it's a it's a it constantly uh renewed or not mm -hmm. kind of aspect of our social life yeah yeah I I, I like the um having a, a conversation <laughs> I hate to cheapen such an elegant thing but in a way we do have a moment where our brain is talking to itself mm -hmm. uh in in its 
hemispheric wave before we can even utter a word mm -hmm. or the next word. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and we are talking to ourselves, and we're talking, and 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 uh, and then each each little string of of words that we hear echoing in our head is is floating on top of an ocean of implicit <laughs> brain <laughs> stuff that it's almost unfathomable. I think the other percentage is like maybe ten percent. <laughs> Wow. Uh, at best or or less is is what's kind of this conscious awareness part of your brain mm. uh and the rest of it is like memories all that kind of stuff yeah again we had some general principles about it's, it's very heavily oriented towards prediction and error adjustment to prediction mm -hmm. but beyond that it's like okay well <laughs> it's it's it, it's unimaginably complex um you know uh something what, what was those numbers almost a quarter quadrillion connections of neurons <laughs> in the adult brain or something yeah. so, so there's a lot of activity under there um but, yeah but um so that's what makes it intriguing if we, if we could at least find some interesting first principles around wherever we look those what do you think, just to make a huge leap here, because I'm watching my time budget here for this conversation, we're going to pick it up again for sure, but what do you think could be done differently uh, if we knew more and more what you're intrigued by now? If, if, if more revelations occur, will it make us evolve human beings? Will we be more self-aware of what we're doing when we're in conversation with other people could it make things better that that's an interesting point it happens to be a segue of what i wanted to talk about anyway because oh good yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, because uh it is something that uh, in the gilchrist focuses on a great deal um and like in the appendix he has in, in the in the um um his latest book, um, The Problem with Things, he has one of his appendixes, he talks about ethics. And mm -hmm. we can think of healthy social bonds as having a direct connection to morality um, and improving um, yeah, morality to, to a large extent may help with the social world. And again, with this... Um, this emphasis on the wrong side of the brain is mm -hmm. is one is one problem because what is clear especially when you look at right brain uh, left brain damage is that the right brain is very oriented towards utilitarian thinking um and not even necessarily uh, classical utilitarian the greatest to actions towards the greatest good for the greatest number of people no matter what the consequences but kind of utilitarian in the sense of what's in it for me mm -hmm. um and what what is the immediate survival needs because you do have a lot of that survival oriented mm -hmm. uh things there and even and even emotions that go with it like the seeking of pleasure mm -hmm. uh pleasure pain um and so a lot of um very uh simple um a very simple uh, uh ethical approach to the world that's not very um uh attentive to um the um 
you know, the immediate needs of, of the social other. So, you know, it's the kind of, it's the kind of brain that kind of would use the logical um, arguments, the ethical arguments. If you, if you, you know, saw a trolley heading towards, it was going to kill, run into five people. And if, and you could push a fat man into the trolley and, and save five people, would you push the fat man into the, into the path of the trolley and and by some utilitarian calculation the the ethical answer would be yes but really the 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 right half of your brain was saying hold on uh, how do we know that this fat man's going to going to stop the train and now we're hurting this fat man no he got six people and 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 why are we even talking about these stupid scenarios ethics is a lived world where we try to think about what, what the needs are in the moment and, and uh mm-hmm. so you know it's a much more subtle um um uh, a different sort of morality but it is one where um there's another uh kind of tradition of of morality called uh, deontology it's a greek word but it's it's kind of um ethical action done through obligation or or duty yeah um which can be kind of um you know, God has these rules, we must follow them, um, which is in itself kind of a, 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 a sim, a, can become a kind of a sim, simplistic or fundamentalist type of, of morality, which, which is fine in a way, but it's in its, um, and it, it does acknowledge um, the, you know, the social order of inherent rules that can, can compel, compel uh, action, kind of give humility to, 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 one's actions, but an overemphasis um, can become a way, another way of just abstracting and generalizing um, the ethics of, of the moment. So um, so what McGilchrist thinks would, might be a more healthy balance is one where it's not a choice between between the utilitarianism, happiness of the many over the few, or, or just obligation of duty, but what he calls virtual virtue virtue ethics i think there's a whole philosophical notion of what virtue ethics is and and um in saying what's primary of importance is is the moral character of the actor as a whole um kind of this embodied forth in, in actions and and, and attention to the particular con- context and so a concern not just with the outcomes, but with the attitudes and the emotional and social understanding, sensitivities of context, personality, and everything that goes with it. So really embracing something more with the complexity that's that reflects the complexity of the world, but but still having some notion of of balancing in yep. actions and practical wisdom. Um and uh and it doesn't mean it's by nature not a perfect perfect ethics you're going to get things wrong oh yeah there it is you know no rules are absolute no judgment's going to be perfect but it at least isn't relying on that left brain simplicity it's it's dealing with with the world that as it is which is one of of complexity in which we have to kind of look at the uh in, integrity of of um of uh who we are what it means to be uh, in a social world and an environment that, mm-hmm. that can be destroyed by by humans and 
mm-hmm. and everything else that that needs to be balanced and then you get to those relying on notions of sol- solidarity uh, compassion mm-hmm. love all of which are the most social emotions that are the positive side of secure social bonds mm-hmm. um so um you know i even we could even those two uh uh esoteric podcasts we did about the intergalactic civilization having to rely yep. on on what do they have to rely on to not uh, fight each other and destroy the universe um in part you can kind of think of this right brain dominated utilitarian alien race that's going to go and and dismantle all the planets to make their their um their group mind where they where they live and mm-hmm. if they could that would have already happened so somehow advanced civilizations had to solve this problem of right brain dominance by coming up with something else something that was both uh rule-based and yet flexible enough to allow allow evil allow mistakes allow suffering but also compassion so Hmm. so maybe somewhere in this balancing of the left and right hemispheres is a correspondence to what humans must do to get to the next level and perhaps join our intergalactic community on that note <laughs> i see another episode ahead i i, I want to go with you i want to learn uh, your thoughts on uh, even more on ethics and morality it is uh one of the conjectures that that Peter made in the book on practice as a way of being that uh, there, there is, he's very, very soundly noting the importance of morality in every moment of practice mm-hmm. uh, and that we have uh, continuous uh, both fact checks and faith checks going on. <laughs> Those are my words, not Peter's. Yeah, but, that's good though. But it, it it it's it's so in, it's so active. Uh, this notion that we can set aside ethics is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we will we want to we want to do more of this. Uh, and for my my two hundredth, really our two hundredth day, because you've kept me in this, and I base this whole work in the web page we call social inaction. So. Uh, it's a team effort and i'm so impressed and pleased that you've found us still another fascinating author to weave into the conversation mm-hmm. i still have a goal to find a a, a female author <laughs> uh and i think i think i, I will eventually <laughs> she's out there she's out there yeah. uh i when i want these uh zoom conferences like I've been on a couple of times in the last two weeks. The majority of people who come to these are, by appearances at least in name, women, mm-hmm. and they seem to be much more uh, work in in, re, in somewhere another working that right brain connection. Mm-hmm. And they understand it better and wondering why men have to spend so much time writing it down. <laughs> exactly but that's probably to to uh they get it like broader that. context but um yeah so <laughs> well thank you again for tonight and uh i will say uh yay 200 yep 
makes the 200 more. Thanks for listening to the Practice Podcast, where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcasts dash page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction in the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Oh, oh, how could I have forgotten? Our digital book on practice as a way of being is now available. You'll find it online at www.mylibrary.world. I worked on that book after Peter passed away, and I think you will find it a unique and very, very mobile reading experience since it's wherever your screen is in hand or at hand.